1: This is the Court Today replay
3: on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme, John Paul's taking your calls at 1850 333 103. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. And I want to start the programme by trying to hold in my emotions as best I can by just sending on my deepest, deepest sympathies to Brenda and uh, Trevor out in Ballyhay on the death of their little boy, uh, Fionn. And thank you to uh, Podrick in Glamwood who was one of the first to send me in a text this morning to say, Patricia, I'm not sure if you've heard that little Fionn Barry passed away uh, on Friday. I, I was in total shock and disbelief on Saturday morning when I saw the post which Brenda and Trevor put up on their uh, Facebook page, the Facebook page that we've all been uh, watching over the over the last seven years, the Fighting for Fionn Facebook page in order to keep up with progress of how little Fionn was doing. So it was with absolute heartbreaking shock. I saw the post on a Saturday morning and let me just, for those of you that didn't see it, this is what they put up um, to announce the the death of uh, little Fionn, uh, they they put up on their Facebook page. As parents, he was the most courageous, brave determined and gorgeous little boy and they say to be his parents was the biggest honour of all time and we fought fiercely for our little boy from day one they said we're absolutely devastated beyond any comprehension and not sure how we'll get through the next few days they say we are so grateful for the massive support network around us and we are certain that they will hold us up in the coming days and months we left no stone unturned in our efforts to make him comfortable and to provide him with what he needed to keep him safe, healthy and here at home with us as much as possible There is uh, this is something we absolutely could never have achieved without the unwavering support and kindness from everyone for our Fight for Fionn campaign. Fionn Patrick Barry had the best of everything and he was surrounded by so much love for every minute of his short life. Fionn touched the lives of so, so many people and he was given the honour of being a little blue hero by the Gardaí and King B on board the ambulance, as well as becoming a junior paramedic and that only happened last Tuesday morning. The family said uh, Fionn spent much of his life in the Puffin ward at the Cork University Hospital and they said in their post the care, love and dedication they continually showed him and us was second to none, and they were blessed with nurses who cared for him as if he was their own. And then they they end their they end the piece on Facebook saying, "Why well, we want to do one final thing for our little man, and that is to give him the send off he truly deserves." I don't know everyone will help us do that. And his requiem at mass is live streamed at noon today, actually, on the Ballyhay, uh, where on the from the Ballyhay uh, Church, and and I also saw over the weekend that they're continuing to fundraise in Fion's name, and they're saying you know instead of flowers donations in lieu uh, to The Undertaker and what they're hoping to do is to continue to support the charities and the wonderful organisations that have helped Fionn in his little little short life but you know as over the years I I don't know I, I can't remember if I'd interviewed Trevor or not I've certainly interviewed Brenda on many many occasions just getting updates on how Fionn was doing and she was she is and will continue to be no doubt a great advocate on behalf of special needs children and on behalf of their parents carers. I remember only last year I wouldn't even have been last year, it would have been earlier this year when we were talking about vaccines and when vaccination started to roll out. There was a big push to offer vaccines as early as possible to carers And Brenda really, I think, became the face of of that when she spoke about, you know, she was desperately worried, obviously, about Fionn getting COVID because she knew with, you know, all his complex issues, she knew that if he got COVID, that would be it. And the fact that little Fionn was in and out of hospital so much, every time they went, there was the fear that he might pick up COVID and... uh, but then her other fear for herself and Trevor was what would happen if they, as his primary full time carers, what if they got COVID? And she was just lived in fear of that. I mean, She hardly went out out of the house. And when she did or when Trevor went out, they were just always fearful of who they would meet. And that's why, you know, when people went around being silly and selfish about, oh, so I'm not worried about COVID. If I get COVID, it'll be fine. I, I always say to people, you never know who you might meet. What if you who think I don't worry about getting COVID met somebody like Brenda or Trevor who then brought COVID back into their household even though they did everything to protect themselves. That's why, you know, when people decided to be selfish about COVID-19 it always used to really frustrate and uh, annoy me. But as I say, my deepest, deepest sympathies to Brenda and to Trevor, they were beyond belief when it came to being, p- to being parents. Fionn was lucky to have been born into that household which such such strong, caring parents and they have a very, very difficult journey ahead of them. But as, as you know, Fiona, as Brenda and Trevor said in, in that post, they know that that network that they have around them uh, will care for them and protect them and just wrap them up because it is just going to be uh, very difficult because, you know, to bury a child is hard enough. But now there's this big gaping hole Left in their lives because he's their only child, and the fact that they were full-time carers, all of that now is gone. You know, their reason to get up in the morning is just such a difficult, difficult uh, task ahead. And so, keep them, please, everybody. Uh, keep them, keep little Fionn in your thoughts and prayers. But in particular, uh, the parents and the wider extended family. I know he's got. I'm sure he's got a granddad that's uh, still alive, and there is aunts and uncles and cousins in a wider circle of uh, friends. So we're thinking of all of them today. May little Fionn Barry may he rest in peace uh, 1850 333 John Paul's taking your calls so you can text or WhatsApp to 0862-103-103 and just on heartache I suppose I have a very different uh, type and it would be uh, remiss of me if I didn't start the programme by mentioning them as well it's the, the girls of the All-Ireland Senior Camogie girls uh, yesterday they put up such a spirited fight and unfortunately it just wasn't meant to be. And there's a picture on the front page of the exa- of the echo today of Ashleen Thompson just on her knees at just at the very end of the match with, you know, just looking up at the skies, her eyes turned up to heaven and just you can see the utter sense of defeat and just going, Oh my God, what more could we have done? But you know uh, and it was just a battle. It really was a battle to the to the very end. And I just thought it was a fantastic match to watch. And the ladies' camogie, they're like the hurlers. The skill and the speed of that match is just unreal. And I don't want in any way to take from the All-Ireland, the men's Tyrone versus Mayo. And while everybody was hoping for Mayo, it wasn't to be... But when you compare it, I watched both matches and when you compare it match on match, certainly for excitement and skill to me, it was the ladies camogie match was just from an an entertainment point of view watching it. I thought it was far more entertaining than the boys. And that's not taking away from the boys and from Tyrone's uh, win. Martin in West Cork talking about the male losing out again in the All-Ireland Finals. Hi Patricia, they say that the Mayo football team are under some kind of a curse. But can somebody put a curse on another? Or are we all under a curse of some degree in our life? Well, I actually saw last week in the run-up to the All-Ireland that a local priest in County Mayo, a priest by the name of Father Richard Gibbons, he was saying that nobody in Mayo... Were, were entertaining talk of uh, the curse and the story of the and he said it's nonsense he said it was nonsense from day one and he said it's still nonsense today even though they didn't win on Saturday but the story goes that a hex or a curse was placed on the Mayo footballers it was following their 1951 All-Ireland win that was the last time that the county senior footballers have won the All-Ireland final which of course at the weekend was a full 70 years ago now there's seven several variations of the myth abound but the central premise is that a priest a widow or a witch no one is quite sure cursed the team after they passed through Foxford they were celebrating their All-Ireland win and they were on the way back from Dublin and they failed to stop to show respect for a funeral that was happening in Foxford that day. Mayo, it was said, was sentenced that day never to win an All-Ireland until all of the 1951 team had died. And seemingly there is still, bless his heart, one player who's over 100 now, I'm sure, who's still alive and uh, well. And of course, people in Mayo didn't want it in any way to talk about that curse last week in the run up to the election but I did spot that in 2017 research was carried out by an academic it was part of a GAA oral history project in Mayo and it found that not one of the 140 plus participants could provide any information to substantiate the existence of this supposed curse none of the players admitted to it nobody who went to the homecoming remembers it, remembers something happening in Foxford and that there being a funeral on nobody then this is interesting remembered hearing about it the actual notion of the curse didn't surface until the 1990s and then it's grown legs uh, since but then also there was a, a parish priest in Foxford decided to go back and check the funeral records to see was there a funeral on that day because they would have known the date that the All-Ireland was won 70 years ago and they could have checked to see was there a funeral on that day in Fox. But but unfortunately, when they checked the funeral records, none existed from 1949 to 1952. So the year in question, 1951, in the middle of that, they unfortunately don't have any records, so they can't confirm or deny. Would I I believe it? No, I wouldn't. I don't believe in in a curse. Can somebody put a curse on somebody else? I wouldn't like to think that, that they could. But it's just unfortunate. It seems to be doing the rounds. And yet again, I I saw on social media people talking about it when Mayo didn't win on uh, Saturday. But at the end of the day, I watched the match and Tyrone were the better team. And that's the reason that Mayo didn't win on Saturday. It was nothing to me to do with the curse. 1850 333 103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text our WhatsApp to oh eight six two. 103
1: or 103 Court today
0: on C103 with John Cusack Insurances Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. cmig.ie
3: There was an article in yesterday's Irish Mail on Sunday that I have to say stopped me in my tracks when I read it. It's a full article on the dress sense of mainly Fenofall female politicians who were attending the party's think-in in in Cavan at the weekend. Now, joining me with her views, former Fianna Fáil deputy, Margaret Murphy um, O'Mahony in West Cork. Good morning to you, Margaret.
4: Good morning, Patricia. Margaret, your initial
3: reaction on reading the article yesterday?
4: I was absolutely disgusted, Patricia, and I was very cross and i think it probably hit home with me more and resonated with me more when i know the seven people that were mentioned in the article all good honorable hard working people and i i'm just so cross that neve welch like could could do this now as well as the comments on their appearance if you read through the article you see that she gave the senators their titles but not the deputies and not the ministers, like she spoke about two senior ministers and a junior minister, but never called a minister or never called it to these deputies. But she did give the senators their title. So I think there's a lot of undercurrent stuff here that she ha- she obviously has major issues. And I would really like to ask her, you know, why why did she write this article in this way? and ask the Irish Mail on Sunday why they published it. I think there's a lot of questions to be asked. And now, like, I'm still involved in politics myself, and as a TD or whatever, you you do get knocked. And, you know, that's part. You're out in the public. You've put yourself out there. So, you know, you, you do get a lot of harsh comments. But a lot of it, you know, would be on um your delivery or your lack of, you know. And I think, by all means, Judge politicians, or indeed anyone, on their work ethic or lack of, their word or lack of, their policies or lack of, and their delivery or lack of. But do not get personal. And in my view, all these seven people look great. Yeah and by the know. way we
3: have uh cut, put calls through to the Irish Mail on Sunday we've also tried to reach out to this journalist Neve Walsh on social media but up to me coming on air and I know uh, nothing no and John paul shaking his head we have had nothing back as I'd love to ask her as well what was yeah. what was her thinking when she sat down to write this piece oh my and, God. and also what was she hoping to achieve from a yes. piece like this what well, you yeah. know what like, what what are you hoping to gain? What are you hoping the listener will get or the the reader will gain from yeah, reading this piece?
4: Unless she was just going for the shock effect, you know, but I mean that certainly doesn't excuse anything and you know the fact that she's not coming on stations or the paper arms coming on like it just shows that you know they they're not willing obviously to back this up like if she firmly believed on you know, in what she says, she'd be on every stage. Well, of she should morning. have the courage of your convictions. Yeah, I, yes. I, I think if you, if
3: you're going to write something like that, and if, and an, I'm assuming an editor, a sub-editor, somebody must have approved it. Then have the courage of your convictions to say, well, this is why we felt uh, it was okay. You yeah. mentioned the women in particular, the seven women that were mentioned. Yeah, and four having, women, four. four sorry, have yeah. have any of those women, have you heard any of their reactions and how did they react? How, were they very hurt by the piece?
4: Yes. They were They were very hurt and surprised. It's just like they, they were in shock. I was actually talking to most of them last night and, you know, I, I suppose I have a personal relationship with them, which then led me to being so angry about this article. But, like, as I say, all hard-working people who put themselves out there, who work hard, who went to Kevin for a meeting. I mean, the the new session is just to start on Wednesday. There is so much work to be done and discussed. And, you know, and someone comes out and says this, and they all looked great. You know, and it, it doesn't matter if they didn't. It's what they say, what they deliver, you know, their work ethic, and all lovely people. And how is this going to encourage young women especially, but young people in general, into politics? Like, I think it's gone very dirty, the whole thing, and just very personal. And, you know, like, how dare the the Irish male and of Welsh, how dare they do this, you know? It's just not fair. By all means, pick their policies, you know, to pick their work ethic or whatever, but not their appearance. That's not fair.
3: And I don't want to make it into a a, a feminist agenda, but what also got to me was that it was a female attacking other females. Yes. Yes. I, I, I I was a bit disappointed by that.
4: Yes. And, like, she kind of goaded the women on at the start of the article as well. You know, scalper sister, you know... Now she did comment on the men but she kind of Yeah but that, yeah, end. but that was
3: it was very little it was the last few lines she decided yes. to yes. you know like having a pop off Willie O'Dea about his his moustache musta- musta- yes. been done before girl you know what I mean and yes. and yes. I think Willie likes the fun of it all do you know what I mean yes. I just think yes. you know that's been done before yeah. but um, and then I, I, I was thinking as well because this was at the thinking in, Ca- in County Cavan where there was where there was a media blackout and there was no leaks and I know people were told they left their mobile phones outside to make sure that what happened to Insight and that did frustrate particularly some of the political journalists but that still yes. isn't an excuse to say well if they're not going to leak anything to me I'll have a pop off of the way they're dressing
4: Absolutely not Yeah, there, there's literally no excuse and I suppose that media ban was well flagged Yeah so it was because yeah. thinking up other articles and yeah. like there were kind of unofficial leaks I suppose after what people had said in the room so I mean most journalists picked up on that And didn't get personal.
3: And Margaret, when you were an elected Dáil uh, deputy and and you've been a councillor as well, were you always conscious of how you dressed? Would would you give that another quick look in the mirror just to make sure? Was that something you were conscious of when you went out in public?
4: Oh, absolutely, yeah. You know, or like you'd often get a comment, like you could give a very good speech in the Dáil and you might get a text after saying, now some of them are very complimentary saying you looked great uh, you know I'd rather the red dress than the blue dress or whatever you know but it certainly would nearly always come back to your appearance so I think the mindset of, of people has to change you know that it's what you do and not how you look in politics that is very very important and the only thing that's important really what, what you do
3: And we know it is a male dominated industry and yet we are and everybody in politics from high up to low down are always trying to encourage more females and we know we need to have more females. But you see, you see something like this and you think, what young woman is going to put her head on the chopping block to think every time I step out somebody's going to be critical of something I'm wearing?
4: Yeah, absolutely. Like it's just, and I mean, if you really went into the bones about something not being ironed, like that senator had to drive to Kevin. What she, you know, mm. so obviously she's going to be sitting on the dresser, but it doesn't matter. Like the colors, um, you know, and and as I say, they all looked well, you know. And yeah. fashion is very personal, and it's not that they rocked up in the clothes that they cleaned the house in, or you know, they were all very presentable, all clean, all professional looking, um, and all very good people, work hard-working people. You know, I am just discussed it and I really, really want to ask Neve Welch and the Irish Mail on Sunday, what did they think they were going to achieve out of this?
3: Well I've just been given John just given me an update from the Irish Daily Mail they've hey have answered the phone in the last 5 minutes they say that the Sunday staff don't work today that they work Saturdays but somebody's going to call us back and John we've asked for a, an editor or a contact for Neve so if we get either or we'll be will be on to you straight away don't oh no, I'm ready <laughs> I'm ready for them all and, and and the other and just to finish off the one thing that I really thought was a bit ironic as well after her piece because she did some other smaller pieces after the piece about the fashion sense of the Fianna Fáil members she, she dares then to talk about the hashtag be kind movement I'm yes. thinking girl <laughs> where were you coming from with this oh can you go God. back and look at your own and hashtag I'm be thinking, kind yeah. you know you've yeah. nothing nice Stop. to say say nothing at all absolutely it's okay. a good thing <laughs> okay listen enjoy the rest of your Monday you Margaret do. and thank you for taking time out to talk to us good thank morning you. to you bye bye that is uh, former Fianna Fáil Dáil Deputy Margaret uh, Murphy O'Mani. and somebody is asking me what page was that article where's that gone somebody's saying uh, where are we going somebody says what page on the mail on Sunday was that article on I don't know it's one of those commentary pieces I read it online uh, because yesterday I think it was actually some of the TDs or senators themselves retweeted it so that's how I managed to read the article so I I didn't buy the paper so I didn't see it so I don't know what page uh, it's actually uh, on um, 1850 333103 John Paul taking your course, you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103.
0: Court
1: today on C103.
0: With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. A
3: booster dose of a COVID vaccine has been recommended for anyone over the age of 80 and for residents of long-term care facilities over the age of 65. Joining me with the views of Nursing Homes Ireland is uh, Ty Daly. Good morning to you, Tig. Good morning, Patricia. Has this news come as a relief to residents? and indeed to their
2: families? Oh, yeah, absolutely. This is very, very welcome news. I mean, we've been, I suppose, active on it for a number of weeks now, engaged with government and, and NIAC. So the decision uh, announced on, on Thursday last is absolutely very welcome because we've seen that the effectiveness of, of the uh, vaccine does, I suppose, reduce uh, over time. So... Um, we're, we're just waiting on the uh, on the medical advice. So yeah, very very welcome news, and I suppose The, the challenge always you know, is, to, is to make it happen, you know. And as, these, as, as residents, as yeah,
3: the, these residents, yeah, these residents, Tyke, would have been one of the first to have received vaccines early on in the year, wouldn't they?
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you'll you'll recall that it was literally last uh, last December when uh, when the vaccine arrived in the country, and then in the first couple of weeks of January. Was the first dose, so um, most residents would have received their second dose by the end of January, February. So we're coming into, you know, six, seven, uh, six, seven months now post, uh, post the, the the second dose of the Pfizer at the time. So the timing is 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 is, um, is important, and we also know that the uh, National Immunisation Advisory Committee are also looking at the, the flu vaccine and the possibility of, I suppose, dovetailing or coordinating. Uh, both the flu vaccine and, and the, the COVID booster uh, potentially, uh, you know, at the same time or, or, or around the same time, you know.
3: Because flu vaccines are, the next couple of weeks they'll start flu vaccines, won't they, New Zealand, the end of September?
2: Yeah, end of September, early October. And I think the HSE, to be fair, you know, obviously that doesn't happen overnight again. Um, you know, there was quite a bit of planning goes into that in terms of the national cold chain and whatnot. So that planning has begun and we have a, a meeting with the HSC now on Thursday again. Just to, I suppose, get more information so that we can, um, you know, members can be can be ready and and prepared for both the the flu jab and uh, and the booster vaccine. So I know, it's is, is very very positive news. I suppose okay. the the questions that we have put in as well, just uh, you know, what they're saying is as you as you say in the introduction, there is the over sixty five in nursing homes. I mean, there would be a small number. Probably about you know twelve or fifteen hundred people under sixty five. So I suppose there's a question mark over those. Uh, and the other element that we'll be um, seeking some clarity on from NIAC and, and government is the issue of uh, healthcare workers. Um, well, it's you know, funny.
3: I've literally had a question in saying when you've tied Daly on, could you please ask him what about the staff in nursing homes? We were also vaccinated early.
2: Yeah, and that's that's that, that's the issue. We were kind of surprised, I suppose, in some respects that they. That the staff and healthcare workers generally across the health service weren't included in the uh, in the list that was announced on on Tuesday last. So that's what we we'll, we have a query in on that. And as I said, we'll be meeting with with the HSE this uh, this Thursday, and um, we'll be getting some further information from NIAC. But we would we would um, I suppose expect that um, you know based on the, the the medical or clinical advice, obviously we would expect that staff would also be included in uh, any any booster uh, any booster campaign.
3: Do you, Somebody else is, is wondering, her mum is in a nursing home, uh, any idea on how the booster is going to be administered? Will it be the same as the way they did it for the original vaccine? Yeah, again,
2: uh, I suppose what, what we know from talking to the HSE is that, I mean, to be fair, the the, the the vaccination rollout has been hugely successful. So a lot of the, I suppose, the architecture and, and the systems are in place to be able to do that. Uh, but we also know from members across the country that they're anxious to support the the, the booster campaign. So, uh, in terms of peer-to-peer vaccinators, you know, uh, nurses in in the nursing home sector would be well capable of delivering it as well. So, that's a good uh, point. I, yeah, yeah,
3: because yeah, all the nursing homes have nurses.
2: They do absolutely, and you know, we would have in some cases assisted uh, in the the rollout in the early part of the year. I mean, clearly, in the early part of the year, there was a lot more, I suppose, concern because it was all new for us, and um, right. there was the issue around storage and 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 you know, keeping it at the whatever minus. Um, 30 degrees I think it was at the time Uh, you know a lot of those I suppose issues if you like have been ironed out now so there will be a role there, hopefully, in, in, in some of the homes for the staff locally. The other benefit of staff locally is that they would know the residents intimately and they, yeah. would, know, they would know and be able to chat to them as well. Um, so it'll be a combination of, but again, I suppose we'll be, be working with, with the HSE. You know, they may have teams across the country that they had on the previous occasion that would literally mobilise uh, and, and um, crisscross the country, as it were. Um, because the,
3: the initial rollout, they, came, they went into the nursing homes, didn't they, in the residential well, facilities?
2: Absolutely, and yeah. it'll be the same. It'll be the same on this occasion. It, it'll either be it either be delivered, as I said, by the staff in the nursing home, or by, by a team that will that will arrive. I mean, the National Ambulance Service were involved in the early stage, uh, in terms of serial testing, and then the local um, community health organisations were involved. So it will be delivered in the nursing home, absolutely. And um, uh, then it's just a matter, I suppose, of you know, maximising all the resources, um, whether it's the HSE or whether indeed it's the individual individual nursing homes.
3: And the booster will be an mRNA, which is either a Pfizer or a moderna. is that regardless of what your first vaccine was?
2: Uh, that's my information yeah they, I know recently that uh, the advice that we would have received from from NIAC was that the, the the mixing, if you like of of the Different vaccines is not an, is not an issue. Now that may differ in some age groups. Uh, I, I don't have the full information on that, but uh, what what we do know is that the majority of nursing home residents and staff would have received the the Pfizer Pfizer Biontech. Um, and again, uh, it will be an mRNA vaccine, as you say, in terms of in terms of the booster.
3: Yeah, I think it was, some of the staff might have got um, AstraZeneca, but certainly I think you're right. I think it was all Pfizer was used uh, initially for, for the nursing homes. And what about outbreaks then, uh, Tyg? Are, are, you, are we still getting outbreaks in nursing home settings? We are,
2: unfortunately. We're, we're seeing outbreaks, I suppose, in many settings now, across health generally, and nursing homes are no different. Thankfully, I suppose, two issues, and I think we spoke previously on this, is one is that the numbers that are infected are very, very small. Which is good in, in the vast majority of cases, but more importantly, the actual impact uh, of, of the, the vaccine is, is hugely um, positive in terms of the people are not as sick, and the numbers requiring hospitalisation is very very small. So we still need to be vigilant. Obviously, I mean we still have you know fairly intensive infection control measures right across all healthcare settings. Nottingham was being no different, um, and I suppose we'd be hoping now that the booster vaccine would uh, you know give maybe further. Um, uh, comfort if you like to, to uh, those of us in the sector as we, face into the, uh, as we face into the winter
3: And I know the last time we had you on we touched on visiting and, and visiting is mm. pretty much back to normal but I remember following on from you being on we had a couple of calls in from listeners who were a bit disappointed that the particular nursing home where their loved one was they were only allowing uh, two visits a week, four visits a week and yeah. I remember checking the recommendations at the moment is four visits a week isn't it?
2: It is four visits a week. And I suppose, again, you know, thankfully, we're nearly back to normal in the vast majority of cases. Clearly, if there is an outbreak, you know, that has a, an impact, obviously, in terms of the initial couple of days, in terms of getting the outbreak under control. And I suppose the other issue is that, you know, we do need to manage the, the numbers coming at any given time. So I suppose we'd able people to, to, you know, for their forbearance, if you like, um, and communication is key here, really, in terms of in terms of visiting, um, because we can't have large numbers, obviously, at any one time uh, in in in, a, in any um, in any nursing home. So, um, you know, we're in a much much better place. But again, given that we have outbreaks happening, uh, you know, we do need to be do need to be um, uh, remain vigilant, as it were.
3: And it, but it's a little bit like b- b- before the pandemic, if there was a winter vomiting bug outbreak, or there was a Correct. flu outbreak, and each individual nursing home then will react and they're reacting to protect your loved ones. I mean, they're not deliberately closing the front door because, you know, they, no. they don't want to let people in. They're doing no. it for very good reasons.
2: Absolutely. And I think, that, you know, that, that, that point is, 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 well, is well made, Patricia, because in essence, you know, nursing homes are part of the community. Like pre-pandemic, you know the doors were open 24/7 literally um and you know one of the big features of nursing home care public private or voluntary is is the fact that people you know have free free access and and visiting at any time clearly the pandemic has thrown into a different um, a different realm and as you say you know winter vomiting or Novo virus. historically you know there w- there would have been a requirement on those occasions to restrict visiting for a period um so we'd be and and as you say it's done on the basis of the, Protecting residents, staff, and indeed visitors themselves um because clearly the the virus hasn't gone away, what we've got to do as we know now is, is continue to live with the virus and continue to take all of those i suppose continue to take all those public health measures because there is a concern there that I suppose collectively are, you know people are maybe getting a bit more complacent, you know even walking around the streets yourself, you see people you know mm. uh, maybe without face masks or maybe maybe not not using the hand gel as frequently you know we don't have that. Uh, luxury as a society and I can assure you in, in, in health settings it's still you know people have when they come to work their temperatures are are are, are checked we're, we're engaged with government on the possibility of antigen testing for example so you're 100% right what we're trying to do collectively is ensure that we put all measures in place to protect people uh, and not to restrict access in any in any make shape or form unnecessarily
3: Has serial testing ended in for the, for the workers? Uh,
2: yeah, there's still a number on, on serial testing. Yeah, I mean, you'll just see again today where uh, it's reported that, uh, you know, the testing of the whole testing regime is going to be scaled back generally. So yeah. similar in the nursing homes. Yeah, as of last week, we were on. Uh, I think cycle 15, and um, you know the, the numbers were quite low, but about 200 homes across the country are, are still requesting test, serial testing to continue. So that's out of out of 550 homes, so over half are, are off the serial testing program, and we expect in the coming weeks that the vast majority will no longer be doing serial testing. But we have engaged proactively with um, with the government and with the minister's office on the potential of of the uh, antigen testing in, in, in areas again as another security measure as another measure that could be that could be deployed
3: yeah you hear so many experts say antigen testing is the way to go and for whatever reason they just always seem to be so so yeah. slow to move on I, I, I really I scratch my head I just can't understand it's yeah. another tool in the armory bring it absolutely. on absolutely and that's yeah. exactly
2: the point i mean many members are using it already We'd like to be doing it as part of a national program uh, where we're we have all of the standard operating procedures in place, all of the all of the reporting mechanisms. And to be fair to the HSE, we are moving in that space over the next over the next week, ten days, in some areas, just to uh, you know run a program of antigen, and then we'll be able to reassess that you know in a couple of weeks' time with the notion of hopefully rolling it out in, uh, nationally, because it is, as you say, just another another. Um, uh, tool in the in, in, in the armory I yeah. just say.
3: Anyth- anything we can use listen uh, Ty pleasure as always thank you for that thanks thank you for, for joining us good morning, uh, you. good morning to you that is uh, Ty Daly of Nursing Homes Ireland I've been asked to mention that bingo is resuming in Butterfant Hall tonight much excitement doors will open at half past seven for an eight o'clock start Covid certs will be scanned on arrival and we've had a number of people asking does anybody know are the usual buses running to the Butterfant bingo tonight and I'm still awaiting confirmation on that if anybody knows are the usual buses pre-COVID that used to run to pick up people to go to the bingo embossment are those buses running but the bingo is definitely going ahead half seven for eight o'clock Bring your COVID certs, lads and lassies, please. 1850 333 103. Coming up in the next hour, a fascinating book
1: all about St. Bridget. Cork Today on C103.
0: With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. Cmig.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Some of your thoughts coming
3: into us today. Tom was on to us from Bantry. They're having a little bit of a problem to do with a tennis court. He said there was a tennis court installed in our housing estate in Bantry. And I don't know where exactly in Bantry this is, but I'm assuming locals know exactly the tennis court I'm talking about. Tom said there's a walkway around the tennis court that goes through the housing estate where Tom lives. He said the problem is there are willows growing nearby. And because they haven't been cut back, the willows are now growing into the tennis court to such an extent that people can't use the tennis court anymore. He said children are coming there wanting to play tennis only to discover they can't play. He said these, they, they are public tennis courts. He said it's an important amenity. We're trying to encourage children to be active. And then he said children turn up with their little rackets in their hand wanting to play a game of tennis and they can't because of the condition of the court and it's to do with the willows have grown out. Now seemingly, John Paul was talking to Tom and Tom said they, you know, they've got... No on to the council but nothing seems to be done about it. We'll get on to the council to see what are the plans uh, for it but according to Tom the willows have grown so much that the tennis courts are not of use which is such a waste. I mean if money was invested public money was invested in a fantastic amenity there's so many Housing estates would love the idea of having tennis courts for their children. And if you have an amenity like that, it does encourage children to get out. And Tom is right. There's been a huge focus put on getting our children active and getting them involved in sports. And then they have an amenity like that that they can't use. It really is is shocking. Okay, we'll see if we can get to the bottom of it. Or more importantly, we'll see if we can get something done to get those willows cut back so that the children and adults, I assume adults are using them as well, will be once again able to use those tennis courts in Bantry. Let's stay on sport because getting reaction into GAA over the weekend, both the disappointment from the Camogie girls uh, yesterday and also the All-Ireland not going Mayo's way and people once again talking about the curse that's in existence since 1951. On Camogie, John says, are men's teams Here in Cork, could learn a thing or two from our women. The girls yesterday played with such courage yesterday and they were not afraid. Yeah, and it was just a wonderful match. It really was uh, a wonderful, wonderful match to watch from uh, start to finish. Then on the curse in Mayo. Uh, Michael says Patricia I'm sorry but I do believe in that curse. I was saying is it possible that a priest could put a curse on uh, a team? Michael very much believes that he says believe me priests do have that power and don't let anybody for one minute under est- underestimate that. Someone else says morning Patricia that curse is alive and well. Mayo won't win an All-Ireland unless that last player from 1951 passes away. Uh, also this listener has a uh, Says Croke Park left the fans onto the field. Did others notice uh, that? Uh, Anyway, just go back to this poor last surviving member of the the team. (laughs) God help him. Wouldn't he be really worried about, uh, about this? There was an article, I don't know whether it was last week. Uh, And thank you to Michael for sending this on to me. This is an article that was in the Irish Mirror last week. And the wife of the last surviving member of the 1951 Mayo football team has said all Ireland glory will mean much more to him as it will end the talk of what he or she, his wife, describes as a fabled curse. Uh, The legendary full-back Paddy Prendergast's And his wife are confident that they were confident they'd be celebrating. But that didn't happen, obviously, on uh, Saturday. But more than anything, he really, Paddy really wanted the team to win because he doesn't believe in this curse and it would finally put it to bed for once and for all. And, of course, the fact that they didn't win, people are still saying, yes, that curse is alive and uh, well. Uh, Michael also says, on a lighter note, that camogie match yesterday, was a heart stopper two brilliant teams one entertainment forget about Saturday's match you couldn't watch it you'd fall asleep watching it sadly yesterday there had to be a winner taking nothing away from Galway all of them on both sides played their big hearts out to the very very end 100% congratulations to all of the ladies they did the game proud and they did and, and I said it Michael I don't know if you were listening or not I said it at the start the of the programme this morning Watch. I watched both matches and from an entertainment point of view and having me on the end of my seat point of view I absolutely 100% would watch that Camogie match over and over as opposed to the other and that's not taken away from Mayo and Tyrone the day before it was a cracker of a match and just unfortunately it wasn't to be our day and the disappointment for the girls I mean my heart just absolutely goes out uh, to them but they did us all proud for sure and then some people reacting to the piece that I did with Margaret Murphy O'Malley at the top of the programme to do with this article that appeared in yesterday's Irish Mail on Sunday it was a piece one of these color pieces written about the dress sense of the feet of all politicians, and in particular being kind of nasty and mean to some of the females from the Fianna Fáil party TD's senators junior ministers even mentioned as well and they were at the Tink Inn in uh, Cavan and this journalist Niamh Walsh decided to have a pop off them obviously she thought it was tongue and she thought it was funny but it really has caused offence and it's caused upset particularly if you are to open up a newspaper and see that written about you you know, you you, and obviously you know you're going to be on show when you go to one of these uh, thinkings, and you do your best, and we all do our best when we're when we're on show, and we all try to dress nicely and and smartly, and you look in the mirror and, and you think, yeah, I'm doing okay, and. Um, and we will, we've all looked back but usually it's a fashion sense more than anything we've all looked back on pictures and thought my God how did I ever go out in that but on the day you thought you were looking your very best but who has a right to pick on you know a group of politicians like this it's just, just, just. the tone of it just seemed nasty and really really unfair and we're trying to reach out to Niamh Walsh because I'd love to uh, chat with her as to her rationale behind it and, and what was she thinking of, the headline was Fianna Fáil are failing to keep up appearance now she did She did have a pop off some of the men. She had a pop off Willie O'Dea, for example, and his blazer and Barry Cowan. She had a go at him on his belly bulging uh, as well. And I don't know, was it, and Daryl O'Brien, she had a go at his suit that uh, he needs to change the colour of his uh, suit but it was the females in particular that she was, she was nasty uh, about one listener says Neve Wall should really contact each lady and the gentleman as well and apologise uh, to them to me that was gutter writing says one listener and then somebody else Christine says Patricia how ironic that a male journalist had a piece challenging misogyny in politics it was on page 12 of the mail on Sunday yesterday and then you have Neve Walsh knocking women in politics on page 22 of the Mail on Sunday. Thank you for highlighting it on the programme today. Politics shouldn't be made into a catwalk. It's about getting the job done. And I can't believe that a woman is knocking other women. While a male is doing the opposite, it would put women off going into politics. Uh, that's from Christine. And that was the point when I read it yesterday, when it was brought to my attention yesterday, that was the first thing I thought about. We have been pushing, trying to push more women into politics, politicians themselves. We've had gender quotas trying to get young females. In interested in politics but like when you see an article like that and you had somebody who might have been thinking about will I get involved or not you're thinking you see something like that I mean most of us turn up for work and we don't have that kind of criticism or critique levelled at us it. it's just, it just seemed unfair it just seemed unfair in a world where we're all trying to be kind to other people, how would you sit down at a computer and type out that article and think in any way that it was being kind and you know, did she stop and think about the people she was writing about how they would feel when they read it, I, I really still I don't understand it 185333103, Patricia there are two men still alive in 92 he's 92 in Mary. is there two I was told there was only one I'm going to have to check into that the wife of the last surviving member I was told there was only one even though when I saw that gentleman's name Paddy Prendergast I thought I saw another name as well I should look into that and I bow to your superior knowledge you're obviously somebody in the uh, no Hendrick then says this is reacting to what was that gentleman's name who contacted us from Tom in Bantry. Tom in Bantry got on to us first thing this morning to say could we do something, could we get on to the council. They've tried and they're not having any luck. The willows are growing into this tennis court, it's a public tennis court it's in a housing estate in Bantry and the young people can't use the tennis courts anymore because the willows are growing in, there's willows growing around it and they've obviously there's been no maintenance done there in a while and they're going in to the point now that the tennis court can't be used and the young people are turning up with their little tennis rackets in hand and they can't play and you know Tom is making the point we're trying to encourage young people to get active and yet we have this facility and it's a facility that can't be used Hendrik is making a point. Crikey Can no one do anything for themselves anymore? Tell Tom and the other people in that area organise yourselves, get out and cut the willows themselves Hashtag just do it, and that's from uh Hendrick. And you know, we've now we didn't do it this year in our housing estate. I live in a little housing estate, and there's a kind of a horseshoe and there's a bit of grass you know, not well, not a bit of grass, nice bit of green area, which I just love to hear the children out on a fine summer's evening that sound of children. Children laughing, I think it's I think it's absolutely wonderful. And my back wall backs onto it. I can't see the actual green area, but I can hear the children, and it's it's just wonderful. And when we when I was first in the estate, council used to come and cut the grass. But then a number of years ago, the council stopped cutting the grass. It was because of cutbacks; they didn't have the money. I didn't we didn't didn't really blame the council at the time. You know, they were completely strapped for cash, and they stopped in a number of housing estates. stopped cutting the grass, and a letter was delivered to somebody living in the area to let us know they wouldn't be cutting the grass anymore so we got together there's 26 houses in the estate we got together and we meet once a year at the green and we have a little discussion about the cutting of the grass we all contribute a bit of money into it we apply to the council get some grants and we cover the cost of cutting the actual green area and we've been doing that now for a number of years and then one night in the summertime Haven't done it now because of COVID, but we'll get back into it. We go out and we cut the weeds, you know, let it grow outside your house, you know, and just smarten up. But we do that ourselves. Now, it's a small enough job to do. I don't know, Hendrik, how bad these willows have gone. And is it possible for local people to organise themselves and on a fine summer's evening to get out and cut it themselves. I don't know if it's possible. But it does happen in a lot of other estates. You will have people who will get together and organise. I don't know if Tom is still listening to us. If that is something that Tom and the people living in the area would think about doing, go out and getting rid of the willows themselves, maybe they might consider it. Uh, 1850, 333103. um John Paul taking your calls you can text our uh, WhatsApp us as well to 0862 103 103. Uh, three. Now when we were talking about that article on the this is to do with the article on, sorry I'm just being handed a piece on the article. This is to do with the Neve Walsh's article, sorry okay we were talking about the piece that was in the Mail on Sunday yesterday. Seemingly Minister Michael McGrath Cork South Central uh, Deputy was asked about that article he was speaking to C103 this morning at a press conference and here is what minister Michael McGrath had to say about it
2: It's cropped the decide but having read what I read I didn't want to read any more to be perfectly honest and look that has no place in uh, public discourse and particularly a focus that was placed on women, I mean we have a problem in in Ireland in getting more women into politics and in keeping the women that we have in politics to be Mm -hmm. frank about it and you know people's dress code, their appearance uh, should have absolutely nothing to do with it and uh, all of the Fianna Fáil women who were featured uh, in that article that I read and they all look stunning uh, at the thinking so it was like a ridiculous piece of journalism that I think was more about clickbait and getting us talking about it and from her perspective she's probably succeeded
3: I love the way he said that they always look great that's a, that's a really nice thing to say well done that is Minister uh, Michael McGrath but as I say more than anything it was the women themselves took grave grave uh, offence to it 1850 333 103 John Paul's taking your calls you can text her WhatsApp to 0862
1: 103 103 C103
3: Jobs now, the Avenue newspaper there in Mitchelstown, they're looking for a sales agent. You need to email your CV, please, to editor at avendupress.ie and please mark sales position in the subject line. Full-time person is wanted for tractor driving and farm work. That's for the North Cork area. Your own transport is essential. 086 807 1539 pharmacy sales assistant required for a busy pharmacy in Bandon. CVs please to victoria.hine at havenpharmacy.ie and Longerville House in Mallow. They've got a vacancy for a kitchen assistant. Email your CV to info at longevillehouse.ie. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103.
1: Court today on C103.
0: With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie.
3: Now, there are very few of us who don't have a Bridget, a Brida or a Bridey in our lives. It could be a mother, a granny, a sister, an aunt, a cousin or even a friend. Many of these women were named after Saint Bridget and a fascinating book about her life in times has just been published by best-selling authors Colum Keane and former newsreader Uno Hagen, who I'm delighted to say join me this morning. Good morning to you folks. Good morning, Good morning
5: Patricia.
3: <laughs> now firstly I'm really saddened you normally are sitting opposite me in studio and we always love having you in studio but because of Covid we have 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 to do this over the phone this time.
5: It's a shame but we're on our way back.
3: We are indeed we are we are. Now we're going back to around 450. What is known about the early life of Bridget?
5: Well uh, I might as well begin. We know quite a lot uh, Patricia and the main reason being is that her story is really well-documented. Uh, a lot of the other saints, you know, like Brendan and Colum Kill and Ulton, uh, they wrote metrical verses about her, describing her life. And then all the great books, you know, the Liber Hymnorum, uh, which is in Trinity College, the Book of Liz Moore, the Bethu Britta, all these books. It's amazing, really. There is more written about her than about any other Irish saint. And what we do know, and I'll be brief, is that, as you say, she was born around 450. We know she was born in County Louth uh, uh, in a tiny little place up there called Fahart, about three miles from Dundalk. We know that her father was a, a minor chieftain named Dufac, which means Duffy. So her name really was Bridget, Bridget Duffy. Duffy. And uh, <laughs> we know that uh, her mother was a bondswoman or a slave uh, named Brochessa, and therefore she was brought up by a stepmother. Very briefly, she had a very tough life, and the stepmother didn't greatly like her, but she was good, kind, charitable, very attractive, very holy and very independent minded. And that's what led her at the age of 16 to head off and become a nun.
3: Because she was very strong willed and her father wanted to to marry her off. But when you say she went away to be a nun, she ended up being ordained a bishop.
6: I know, isn't it great? She got a big promotion, (laughs) unexpected. Yeah, I I mean it's extraordinary. Um, The story goes that she went to um, she wanted a bishop Mel uh, to profess her as a nun, and um, he was a very esteemed bishop at the time, a relative of Saint Patrick. The interesting thing is that he had actually met her parents when her mother was pregnant with her, and he had predicted that the child would become great in the eyes of God. Now, when Mel saw her, he recognised her immediately, and he read over what was called the Episcopal Order, uh, meaning that she was made a bishop. Now, this is recorded in, as Colin mentioned, a number of great books, the Liber Norum, the Book of Liz Moore, uh, the Behu Brigta. So she... She was a bishop and, and she remained a bishop. I mean, subsequent centuries, it was kind of written out of the history um, because, you know, it, uh, the church had become a very male-dominated uh, kind of institution. But, but there's no doubt that she was Bishop Bridget.
3: <laughs> and she always gave to the poor. But what was really interesting, according to what's contained in all the books, she was never left short,
5: No, that's uh, very important. A lot of her miracles, you know, um, uh, revolve around that idea that God provided for her. Uh, In a way, it's very biblical. Um, Whether they're all true or not, Patricia, you wouldn't really know. And reading them all and looking back on it, sure, uh, they might be, you know, accurate. They may have happened. But they may also be sort of allegorical Insights to what she was all about. You know, it's a bit like um, when she would be able to provide feasts for people who are coming, you know, like uh, bishops, and they would say, God, it was a miracle what she would be able to put on the table. Now, that was said about my mother a lot. She could perform <laughs> miracles with little food at home as well. So, in a way, I think quite often, what they were talking about were these Amazing powers of this really young woman, you know, in her early twenties, who was achieving way beyond what men at the time were achieving, or what women, many of them, would ever be able to achieve even today.
3: And and Una, I was surprised to read that she was an expert brewer, uh, oh. but it was only then in, your, in and it was it was ale was what we, they drank, but it was only in, in your book I realised why she was an expert brewer. We oh, didn't yeah. we I didn't mean, have tea. Sorry, say that again. We didn't have tea in those days. <laughs> no, that's <laughs>
6: what we drank without tea. It was always a very good question. What would we do without tea? We'd resort to the ale. And it, you're right, it was ale uh, because we didn't have hops at the time. Uh, otherwise, it would have been beer. But it was extremely important because it gave you calories. It gave you nutrition. Uh, it hydrated you. And it was safer than water. Um And, of course, young people, you know, right down to probably four or five years old, maybe, were given small amounts of beer because it was nowhere near as strong uh, as what we get now. And the stories are, you know, multiple stories about how she was able to magic up great supplies of beer, a bit like the story with the food. Um, But I, I would certainly like to have been you know, near her or with her. She would have been a very good, very good party host. Yeah, (laughs) I
3: I think so uh, as well. And and one that a lot of people won't realise. She's credited with inventing the rosary beads. Yeah,
5: that's that's an extraordinary story and well accounted for. There was a kind of a a beads. It was known as a a prayer rope uh, from about 150 years before her where there would be knots and a rope and you could count out the prayers. Now, there were also hermits Around that time, who would pick up maybe ten stones or a hundred stones, and they'd drop them as they said prayers, so they'd know how many they had completed. but it said that what Bridget did was she combined the two. she got stones, put them on a rope, small stones for the smaller prayers, like the Hail Mary, and larger stones. For the larger prayers like the our father now you might think where does this come from but again there's a great academic a dominican a.j rooney uh, who left ireland went to america he was an expert on the rosary and he claims absolutely true that this was and there was another abbe Abbe de samusi born in the 18th century and uh, he wrote that classic text on the rosary and again he said not only did she invent them but made them popular throughout Ireland.
3: And then you know we we'll associate the shamrock with St. Patrick uh, Una but St. Bridget's Cross. Everyone will identify that cross and know it's a St. Bridget's Cross. Oh
6: yeah, and it's a symbol that has lasted 1,500 years. Uh, The story of how it came about um, begins with a a dying pagan chieftain. He was in great distress and his family called on Bridget uh, to ask her to give him some kind of comfort. Now, she went to his house and there were, of course, there were earthen floors at the time and rushes were frequently used to keep the floor warm and dry and hygienic. And so she picked up uh, a bunch of rushes and started weaving them into a cross. And uh, he, the, the chieftain, asked her what she was doing. And so she explained to him about uh, the crucifixion, about Christ dying for all of mankind so that we could all be saved. And the end of the story is that he, he was greatly calmed and he died a Christian. And I think it's a wonderful use by Bridget of something from the natural world to explain a really... Difficult
3: concept. Mm, a little bit like what Patrick did with the shamrock. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and we all. Well, I I still have a St. Bridget's cross over my front door, and there's a lovely story as to how I uh, how I got it. Elaine Crowley of. Virgin Media fame Uh, Elaine of course is from this neck of the woods and her mother Mary V wonderful wonderful woman who was a primary school teacher she used to make them with the children in the class and every year for years and years after she retired she continued to make them and she gave me one when when I moved into my house and it's over like I'm over 25 years in the house and it's hanging up over my front door and it was only this morning as I was walking out because it almost I left your book behind and I went back to the kitchen table to pick it up and as I walked out I looked up and smiled and said St Bridget we're going to be talking about you today <laughs> so there you go now and she made a name for herself outside of um, uh, Ireland at um, uh, uh, Glastonbury and also in Scotland
5: Yeah uh, she was an amazing woman from that point of view uh, you're talking about a long time ago when it was very difficult uh, to even go to England you had to go down through a fairly rough Ireland you know wild rivers uh, uh, there were bears around, foxes, um, lots of forests. And yet she made it across, as you say, first of all, to Glastonbury. And uh, she went there because it was a great center of religion and prayer, one of the best in Europe. And uh, uh, very interesting. She had a huge impact over there. And um, if you think about it, she landed at a place called now. St. Brides and she came into St. Brides Bay that's what it's called now Uh, she travelled around there and Bristol uh, probably comes from Stow, meaning Brides Place and there are so many places Uh, if you look around Patricia in a a map in Britain you know there's Bridgeport and Bridgehampton all these places named after her and then Later, as you say, she went to Scotland and she landed at a place called now West Kilbride, named after her. And there are so many places and people, you know, named Kirkbride or Kilbride and people called Macbride uh, in Scotland. So she left a huge impact wherever she went, including in both those places.
3: Yeah, and I should have said at the outset that while the book is called The Book of St. Bridget and it details everything we're chatting about, about Bridget's life, but it also goes much further than that. It's a social history book as well. And it also, you've, you've reflected really well, both of you, on how the impact Bridget had many, many years after she had died. Uh, Una, the... The wedding, the tiered wedding cake, I think, is an incredible story.
6: It is. Actually, we were thinking of calling the book Bridget and Beyond. Ah, yeah. much, but <laughs> I mean, that it, it, is, it, it does carry, her, her influence is enormous. And the tiered wedding cake, I mean, how many millions of tiered wedding cakes have been made in the, the intervening centuries? It began in uh, the 1770s in London. There was a young chap called William Rich, and he was a pastry chef, apprentice. And he was young, he was in love, he was getting married, and he wanted to make something special for his bride-to-be. And it so happened he was walking along Fleet Street in London, and he looked up at a church there called St. Bride's Church. And it has probably the most beautiful steeple in London, and it's held up by little pillars as it narrows up to the top and he looked at it and he thought i i can make a cake like that and up to then you know cakes had been flat and maybe a little bit of icing um but i mean there have been millions of um tiered wedding cakes since then i wouldn't be surprised if you have yeah everyone did anyone. we all yeah, yeah. and, even and even to this day
3: beautiful. and and st- and still today and that church that's known as the journalists church that's right yeah.
6: yeah yeah i mean there were so because it was right at the heart of the printing industry in in Britain, going back from the I think the 1500s, uh, right the way through. Unfortunately, there are not as many. Are I don't think there are any newspapers left there. They're no. all out scattered all
5: over London, yeah, but uh, yeah. still
6: known as that.
3: And then the well-known phrase column, grey Old Biddy." <laughs>
5: yeah, the Great Old Biddy, like like Minnie Brennan of the. Well, Australian. I'll
3: I'll stop you there before you talk any further because we have a little clip from. Ah. Minnie Brennan.
4: <laughs> well, now, tell us, uh, Benji, what are you going to call the child?
6: Well, I'm afraid that's a sore point, Minnie. Well, I don't see anything wrong with Benji.
4: Oh, Mary dear, Benji, uh, Benji mom was all right for a child's name when you were a little girl, but uh, it's terribly old-fashioned nowadays. Well, I think it's rather a nice name.
0: Thanks very much, Mrs Howard. Well, would you ever let the mother speak? She can't get a word in edgewise.
4: I'm calling him Brendan. Brendan.
6: Yes, that's a very nice name, I like it.
4: Brendan? The Mary dear, was there ever a Brendan in your family? Because there was never one in Tom Reardon. <laughs> Not that I know it of. It doesn't many. have to be a family name. I just like it. Hmm. I
6: was just wondering, she must have known somebody by the name of and child here. I
3: was just wondering where the idea came from. That's what I was wondering too, Minnie. Very <laughs> suspicious. And the way, the way Minnie is stirring it there, <laughs> oh, I mean, yes. you, and you would, you would have listened to that and said, would you go, look at Minnie, isn't she? A right old
5: biddy. Uh, exactly. Now, you know, it's very interesting. She was wonderful, really. Annie Dalton uh, was the actress there. And the whole idea... I mean, the gossipy old biddy uh, that came from Irish girls who emigrated to America, a lot of them called Bridget, and that was reduced to Biddy for many of them. And when they got there, they worked as housemaids, and they weren't very good at it. They came from mud cabins, they didn't know about cooking, they didn't know about housework, uh, they didn't know decorum, you know, not to go in the front door or up the main staircase, things like that. And they got a bad reputation, and they were called Bridgets. And when they got older, if they were still working in the house, you know, they'd be maybe a cook uh, below stairs, and they were called old biddies. And the reason for that being that they knew everything. They knew about the master, what he was up to, the mistress didn't know it, and vice versa. And they would share that information <laughs> with other people and people would say, God, what a gossipy old bitty. <laughs> and we had that classic one in Minnie Brennan for, what, 15 years yeah, on yeah. television. She was wonderful. Yeah.
3: And 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 we, I, we still use it today. It's a phrase you would hear used today. Oh,
6: absolutely. You know, she's yeah. such a and gossip... Colum was in contact with a friend of his who's much younger, actually, and he was saying, yes, I remember some old ones, and there are some, uh, you know, younger ones too. <laughs> but the interesting thing, um, Colin did an interview with Wesley Burroughs. He was the writer of the Reardons, and he summed up, you know, Minnie's destructive powers very well and her powers of observation. You know, if there was a, a coat of paint on the gable wall, a new pair of cartons, a strange car from Dublin, a priest calling to the house. All these were clues that were gathered together by Minnie or any old biddy. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, she had to share the information. Frequently, got it wrong yeah. as well, but
3: but know. loved but loved sharing it. Una, one that made me laugh out loud was the the League of uh, Saint Bridget, which was uh, the the <coughs> indecent and immodest fashions. With one regional the newspaper, they were talking about the way uh, young women were starting to dress, and he said, "We will shortly have our young girls going about with not enough clothes on them <coughs> to
6: save a moth from starvation." <laughs> <And> <laughs> so, <It's amazing. laughs> so the, the League of Saint Bridget. Oh, yeah, and it was taken very seriously. Uh, now, you have to remember the fashions at the time. It was the 1920s, um, so they were, nowadays, compared to nowadays, they were relatively long uh, frocks, they were loose, they had a cloche, wore cloche hats, bobbed hair, but these were seen as being, oh, I mean, just beyond the pale. And if you wanted to join the League of St. Bridget, you had to sign a form saying that you would not... Wear any indecent fashions, particularly <laughs> imported indecent fashions. And this was ta- taken up with great alacrity by the hierarchy. And in fact, I think it was the Archbishop of Tune who came out with the bright idea that Irish women should follow what Bridget wore, which was a white robe. No. Now, I cannot imagine any <laughs> Irish woman giving up her chance. <laughs> to follow the latest fashion <laughs> to wear a white robe. Well, <laughs> uh, you and I would be wearing white robes ab-
3: now. Absolutely. <laughs> um, a Moy listener says um, Hi Patricia, I have a St Bridget's Cross that my son made in school around 40 years ago. Uh, it was a local school near Femoy. I bring it out every year and I put it out for St Bridget's Day and I leave it out for the month and it's from a, a Firmoy, uh listener. Lots of people saying that they have the St Bridget's Cross at home which, which is gorgeous. Do we not celebrate her though enough today? Should we Uh, be celebrating her more?
5: Yeah, we don't in a way celebrate her. The only point I would make about Patricia is that she still is everywhere. That we just don't notice her. Uh, If you take a drive, no matter where, um, you know, there are schools in her name, holy wells, people that you bump into called Bridge and Bride, Breed and Breed or Biddy or whatever. um, You know, she is, uh, I can think of, Kilrossenty down in Waterford. Uh, the parish hall is named after, the church, there's a holy well, the school, patron saint of the parish. And a lot of people are not really aware of her presence, even with Gaelic football teams and so on. And like in Cork, um, we were in Cork recently, came across St. Bridges Street uh, I was in Middleton actually one day driving along. Glanced to my right, and there was Skull Breed on my right.
3: Yeah, we've a lot of Skull Breeds. We've a lot, a, a lot, lot, lot of Skull Boots. Okay, you've done, you've done Padre Pio. You've had the gorgeous book about Saint Teresa of L'Zou, uh We loved the one on, on Bernadette. No. Now we've got Saint Bridget. Who's next, Duna? <laughs>
6: I wish you hadn't asked me that. Now, th- I, I think there is an ongoing debate over whether there will be another book. I think <laughs> Colin should answer that one. Colin, will there be another book? Uh,
5: we, we have a very clear answer to that, Patricia. Absolutely never. You,
3: no, you've said that we before. Said that before. Yeah. yeah, you've said that before. There'll yeah. always be another. They're such. <laughs> they are really, really de- uh, delightful reads. D- did you write? Did, did this take up a lot of the time in lockdown? I w- when I was reading, and I was wondering, I could see picture the two of you at home. I know you're more the researcher. You're the one with the head stuck in the book, doing yeah. all the research. Yeah,
6: it was. It was a great help during lockdown. But you know, in a way, writing a book is a, like a lockdown. You know, you, you shut yourself away in a room, you it, you sit down, you try and uh, concentrate and you do the one thing and you try and, you know, get away from any distractions. But this time there were absolutely no distractions yeah. whatsoever. Um, so it helped in a way. We didn't enjoy it, I have to admit, a lockdown. And Who did, says you. Exactly. But in a perverse way, it kind of helped us.
3: Yeah, yeah a listener says I loved the animal crackers the Irish pet stories that came out a number of years ago from Una and Colm any plans for a follow up to that
6: we have lots of stories and we keep saying we'll do it and we've never got around to it I mean there's some amazing stories about a pig watching television I think it was horse racing he was into or something <laughs> like that but anyway <laughs> we, we have about half a book uh, okay. there. We'd have to do the other half. You're nearly half, there. You're nearly if we there. We only had the time.
3: Uh, that's it. Listen, uh, I loved it from start to finish. It is available, as they say, in all good bookshops. It's The Book of St. Bridget. Colum Keane and Uno Hagen, as always, a pleasure to have you on the program. We'll have you in studio live the next time.
0: Yeah. Uh, Good morning. Good morning. Thanks
3: a million. Good morning to you.
1: Thank to you. And today on C103
0: with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie.
3: Michael in Bear says, "Great to hear Uno Hagen on the radio. Just one lovely lady, sadly missed from RTE. Every good luck to her and her husband. I uh, call uh, Thanking you. That's uh, from uh, Michael. Eighteen fifty-three-three-three-one-zero-three. We're going to take a break." We'll take a look at your calls and comments that have come in throughout the morning and also it's Monday. Annalise Drussell, our nutritional therapist, will be joining us. Have you a question for Annalise? If so, get it in. You can call John Paul. You can text. You can WhatsApp 0862 103
1: 103. Court Today on C103. With John Cusack and Sherry.
7: Ready to pop the question?
0: Princess Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. See mig.ie You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
3: No, listening to my piece with Colum and Una speaking about their latest book out, out about the life and times of St. Bridget but it also goes through social history and it looks at other uh, famous Bridgets. Like for example one I didn't know and didn't get a chance to talk to Colm and Una about it. It's in the book. Hitler, Adolf Hitler's sister-in-law was Bridget. There was a Bridget Hitler. She was uh, she was born in Ireland but lived in England and she met Hitler's brother who was living in England at the time. But she ended up being, though she changed her name subsequently and you could imagine why, of course, she changed her, uh, her name. But it was one that I certainly had never heard of before. Noel says there's a well between Botafund and Churchtown. And it's called St. Bridget's Well. He said there are little statues there and people throw money into the well. You wouldn't notice it if you were passing, but a lot of people locally are aware of it and people call there. Yeah, and the book details there's a lot of St. Bridget's wells dotted all over uh, the country. There certainly is Uh, a lot of people still to this day have devotion to her. Now, actually, just talking about... Uh, North Cork there was a text in and I know John Paul is trying to get me uh, help for this for this person who's contacted to say Patricia we were out walking today and we came across a large amount of rubbish it's just after being dumped there were other people there as well taking photographs of them we're just wondering would your listeners know the best place to report it so that it can be cleaned up quickly now, it's a big job before anybody turns around and says, Could you not pick it up yourself? It's a big job. A lot of baby stuff. There's an oil tank. There's a tumble dryer. Clothes, shoes, etc. Now, the people who've dumped the rubbish uh, didn't go to a good job to conceal who they are because there are names and addresses there. There's bills. There's phone numbers shredded, but it's very easy to read the information whoever it was, somebody from the North Cork area enjoyed a chicken fillet roll on the 28th of August would love some advice, please uh, thanking you. Okay, I want to get John Paul to work out, I know you can report it to the council, but I'm wondering if, because People who dump stuff like that have a tendency to be very cute in the way that they do it and they surely you would think would be that stupid that they'd leave bills with names and addresses. What can sometimes happen, now I'm not saying that that's what's happened in this instance, but what can sometimes happen is that people pay a man with a van to come and take the rubbish away, believing that the man with the van is going to dispose of the rubbish and that's why you pay the man with the van. And then of course the man with the van is a scam artist and all he does is he'll find a nice scenic area nice and quiet where nobody's around and he'll dump everything so I'm wondering could that be what has happened here but that seems like a large clear out if there's a tumble dryer which by the way is electrical it can be recycled for free clothes and shoes charity shops would take it baby stuff charity shops would take it it's just I get so annoyed when I hear about jumping like that and what we are doing to the environment. And then, as I say, John Paul is going to get me the details so I can pass it on to this listener of where where they can go. But ultimately, it'll be the council will have to send somebody out to clean, clean it up. And what happens then? It's the taxpayers' money. It's you and I. It's our money goes towards the council having to send somebody from their anti-litter brigade out uh, to clear it up. So we all end up paying for it. And the very council that we spoke about is not able to cut grasses in areas because they don't have the resources they need to direct the resources elsewhere. And some of the resources are directed to clean up other people's rubbish because people are too lazy to go and dispose of their rubbish the same way the rest of us do, either by paying bills or going to civic community sites. We've Wonderful civic community sites dotted all over the city and county. There is no excuse for the dumping of that kind of rubbish. You can dump litter or illegal dumping. You can contact the council's anti litter unit on 021 428 5419 between 9am and 5pm Monday to Friday. They also have a 24 hour national environmental complaints line on 1850. Three six five one two one eighteen fifty three six five one two one, and I will in a couple of minutes pass all that information on to that listener because they WhatsApped me, so I'm able to get the information. I'll be able to get the information out. Okay, we're still waiting to find out about buses to the bingo in Butlervent. The organisers have been back on saying they're trying to organise buses, and they will get back to us. Thank you for that. And then the fact that I mentioned bingo was on in Butlervent tonight. Somebody's wondering: Does anybody know is bingo back in Kilbrin tonight, or when is bingo? coming back in Kilbrin, if anybody can tell us that. 1850 333, 103 We spoke about the curse of the Mayo team and what happened some 70 well it's 70 years ago now, the last time they won 1951 and a hex or a curse was put on to the team and until every member of the 1951 team have died, Mayo will never win the All-Ireland. Some people believe it's true, others believe it's a load of old rubbish, but yet they haven't won since 1951. And I was led to believe there was a lot of articles in the run-up to the All-Ireland on Saturday saying that there was only one member alive a gentleman by the name of Paddy Prendergast who I think now is living in Dingle in uh, County Kerry a number of people want to point out that there are two members of the Mayo team still alive and well now one listener is making the point that one played and the other was on the panel that day. So whether the one on the panel counts or not. So maybe that's why a lot of media coverage last week in the run up to the All Ireland was focusing on Paddy Prendergast because Paddy Prendergast played on the day. Uh, Joe in Ballyhay is saying that Dr. McLoftus is the second survivor. Oh, was Dr. McLoftus on that team in 1951? But somebody's pointing out that it's a, was Dr. McLoftus then must have been on the panel. And didn't actually play on the day, whereas Paddy Prendergast did play on the day and still getting in an amount of calls and comments and issues to do with that article that was in the Irish Mail on Sunday yesterday, the article that was having a pop off some of the females and some of the males but the the Fianna Fáil at the thinking in County Cavill and having a go at them about the way they uh, dress. Uh, Patricia, about the article on the paper, it must not be complimentary the way you're talking. Yeah, I'm not going to read out what she said about them because I think it's just just, uh, too mean but when one is up there and people feel let down especially people in rural Ireland, they can't expect us to tip our cap and show respect in their presence. They say one thing and they'll do the exact opposite. OK, listen, I accept that, that politicians get elected and they'll promise people sun, moon and stars and then they get in and they either can't, they try and do, try and promise everything that they promised and then they realise the system that they're in, they're not able to do everything that they thought they were able to do. And maybe there are others that get elected and as soon as they get elected, they don't do a thing. But I still don't think that that gives anyone the right to have a go at somebody because uh, because of their appearance. Like that's like body shaming somebody or talking about somebody's dress sense. Somebody's dress sense, good, bad or indifferent, has absolutely nothing to do with the way they work as a politician Feel free, absolutely feel free to call out a politician if you feel that they have left you down, or they feel you, you're saying people in rural Ireland feel very let let down, and that's fine to call them out on something that they've done, or a bill they voted in, or a bill they didn't vote in. Call them out on their politics, but don't I I absolutely one hundred percent will never accept that just because somebody's elected a politician, then they're free. Free game to call them out on the way they look or their hairstyle or the clothes that they're wearing. I'm sorry, I really can't agree with you uh, on that. But thank you for your text, 0862 103 103. Kay says, Hi, Patricia, regarding that article in the mail on Sunday, I do feel the article was ill judged. But in her defence, she's very strong on some issues, particularly on animal cruelty. I'm thinking of Greyhound and the horse racing industry. Best regards, Kay. I don't know a lot of the girls' work, to be honest. I know. The last time she kind of made media headlines was to do with Laura Whitmore because she'd contacted Laura Whitmore after Laura had her baby and she wanted to know that they were going to do an article on the baby's name and she wanted some comments from Laura Whitmore and Laura Whitmore took huge umbrage to that, and even though she is somebody who is out there in the media and somebody who is very well known, she took grave offense because she thinks that her children you know her baby is isn't you know she 's in the public eye, and her husband Ian Sterling is in the public eye, but the baby isn't and she called out neve. Watch at that stage even though then a lot of people called out Laura Whitmore and felt it was bullying of that journalist at the time so on and on it goes so no I'm, I, I will try and find some more of her articles uh, but she's good on animal rights uh, issues 1850 333103 some questions coming in for Annalise keep those coming uh, please Anna Newmarket new says Patricia Bingo is back in Kilbrim on the 20th of September, which is next Monday night. I read it in the Kilbrin notes on the Corkman this week. Thank you for that. That's Anne in Newmarket. To the listeners who are wondering about Bingo in Kilbrin, not back until this day next week, uh, thank you for that. John Paul continues to take your calls. We are looking for questions for Annalise Drissel, please, our nutrition therapist. You can get those in, or you can text her WhatsApp 0862-103103. 103 103. And just when I mentioned rubbish and what's going on with what that listener discovered—the dumping of rubbish—I did read in the paper today that an Irish spring water company is to tether. Their lids onto their bottles. This is an effort, an effort to try to dramatically reduce plastic water. The, the Limerick-based Ishka—I love the name of that company. The way they spell it, I S H K A. It's literal Ishka, uh, Ishka Irish Spring Water. They're trialling the caps across the country from today, and they're doing it three years before the EU is making it compulsory for all companies to do the same thing. Their bottle caps will firm will remain firmly attached to the bottle once it's open and of course by 2024 the hope is, well according to the EU directive it's going to be compulsory, that will become the norm We here in Ireland, we are the worst producer of plastic waste in Europe We touched on plastic waste last week on the programme In 2018, we generated on average 61 kgs per person in this country and it is double the plastic that they produce in the UK Ireland uses the equivalent of nearly 2,000 water bottles are 5,550 disposable coffee cups per person annually. Plastic bottle tops, they account for 10% of plastic litter found on European beaches and under the EU single-use plastics directive. It'll make it compulsory to ensure that they are recycled together with the rest of the, of the bottles. So from 2024, any plastic bottle be it a bottle of water or a bottle of fizzy pop or whatever you're having yourself, a bottle of juice, when you take the lid off, the lid will have to in some way remain tethered onto the bottle so that then when you dispose of the bottle the lid goes with it as well which is a really good move and well done to that Lingbrick based Ishka Irish Spring Water for getting ahead of the posse and they're out from today three years ahead of when it does become compulsory here
1: The C103 Cork Diary
0: With the new Explore Cork app A Cork County Council initiative The perfect way to plan your staycation in Cork
3: Ballonhasset Community Development Association, they've set up a GoFundMe page. It's for donations towards the resurfacing of the Marion Hall car park. You can donate by going to gofundme.com or search for BCDA. Our donations can be dropped into Cottrell's shop in Ballonhasset. Cardallia Community Development Association will have their weekly lotto draw community office this Thursday at 4 their jackpot is rising it's at 3300 euro this week and a vintage run in aid of the air ambulance will take place in Ballydehob on next Sunday they're looking for vintage cars trucks Motorbikes and tractors, all welcome. And entries will be taken in the Irish whip in Ballydehab. Court today
1: on C103
0: with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie.
3: Some of your texts coming in, Morris says, talking about litter and dog poo Well, yesterday, Hubby and me, we went for a walk to Bally C-d Woods. I can honestly say no litter. We only spotted one piece of dog poo and there was a huge amount of people walking their dogs, which was amazing. It's a place I would recommend a fab spot, says Maura. Bally, Seedy, Woods. And well done to all of those dog walkers who were out. Everybody obviously cleaning up after their dogs, except one person didn't, but well done to everybody else. And Maura says also, by the way, she just did a quick other text to do with the politicians. And getting called out over what they're wearing. Uh, Their job, Trish, has beep beep all to do with what they wear. You are so true. Can I stay on rubbish for a moment? Advice for this listener, please. Patricia, re-rubbish issues. We need advice. Our neighbours are always burning their rubbish. And the toxic smell of plastic in the air at night is so Horrible. We've ended up having to keep our windows and doors closed. They're all earning in the household so they can well afford to pay to have it disposed of in the local amenity site, which is what we do. We always pay the amenity site to dispose of ours and we're doing that on one wage. It's so frustrating that we don't want to fall out with them, but any suggestions would be welcome. Thanking you. Oh, God, that is tricky. I mean, have you tried talking to them? Can you? Ex- I mean, if you're getting the toxic smell, they're also getting the toxic smell. But do I assume they're willing to put up with it so as to save money on paying to dispose of their rubbish? Is that their uh, philosophy? But it's, And they're obviously, where are they burning the rubbish? Are they burning it out the back? Or are they burning it in, in an open fire? If they're burning it in an open fire, they're putting themselves at huge risk as well. Because any kind of plastic like that, that toxic... It, besides toxic smell, it's the fumes are also toxic as well. I certainly wouldn't like to be in an area very close to something like that being burnt. Anyway, I'm sure you're not in your own. I'm sure there's others as well. I've had neighbours doing similar thing. I would love to think that you could have a chat with your neighbours and point out what's going on and get them to see sense. But I know it's hard to confront neighbours and as you say you don't want to fall out with them. You've got to live beside these people. If anybody else can offer words of advice to our listener please we would love to hear from you. In the meantime let us put the shout out to people who are burning rubbish please. Will you be mindful of what you're doing to the environment but also mindful of your neighbours and the effect that it's having on your neighbours' uh, lives. Hi Patricia I got one of those calls to my mobile just now uh, from an 089 number. I answered with a lady saying that it's obviously it's an automated saying this call is from the tax and customs please bless blah 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 I hung up immediately just to let you know says Sheila this is the first such call I've received to my mobile I get lots of emails though thank you for warning us about them yes they're still doing the rounds Uh, if you have a smartphone Sheila try to block the number but I can tell you I hate to be at the bearer of bad news, but you'll be very lucky if you get away with only getting one of those calls. You will continue to get more of them. It seems to be the, the routine that follows. Once one is received, you will get a flurry of them and then you get a period of time where you won't get them at all. I know at the weekend again, I was the one saying that I had never got the text message saying you've got a parcel due for delivery you know from DHL or from Unpost and lo and behold at the weekend didn't I get two texts back to back it's very similar text and I knew straight away because I wasn't, wait- I wasn't waiting on any parcels my first one says we're having difficulties delivering your your package uh, you know please due to unpaid shipping freight and again they're relying on people buying in England with Brexit saying oh I must owe something on that so they're hoping I'll click on the link I didn't needless to say and then within a few minutes of that I got a second one saying your parcel has been stopped at the distribution centre track your sh- your shipment here and another link which obviously I didn't either and both of those came from normal 087 what looks like normal 087 uh, numbers so yes they're doing the round so when you get one like that Sheila unfortunately you get more but just bring your A game and as soon as you hear it and um, try not to answer if you, if at all possible Try not to answer, but if you do answer, it's not going to cost you anything. It's the clicking on the link and it's engaging then, giving them access to your personal details where the problem arises. But they're out there for sure. And we're still getting in the calls about that there's two players living from the 1951 Winning All-Ireland team. And somebody (laughs) is saying Dr. Loftus was on the panel. He was he was on the panel. Two players are living: Paddy Prendergast and good health to him. Patrick Carney, who was known as the Flying Doctor, he died in twenty nineteen. R I P. He was also a player on the nineteen fifty one team. Yeah, I think what the other listener was pointing out was that Doctor McLoftus was on the panel, but he didn't he didn't play on the day, and therefore the fact he was only on the panel, some people are saying, does that stand or not? Was it only the players who were actually on the pitch that day? It's until all of them die that the hex will go. As I say, there was a number of articles last week in the paper with all of them referencing the last surviving member of the team, actually played that day but then that's people putting their own spin isn't it on what, what the curse was whether people want to believe in the curse or not but I can't get over and John Paul said he was flooded with cause as well when I said she can be believing in, in curses and somebody else was making the same point as well no such thing as a curse lots of people reckon there is and a lot of people are pointing to the very fact of what's happened in Mayor now for 70 years is living proof that a priest and I don't know of any priest alive who will put a curse on some but well, maybe it was something that happened 70 years ago 1850 333103 and Hanno has been on to say uh, Hi I lost my purse last week and I rang you good cells to see if anybody found it I remembered it one of your suggestions was to ring Dunn's in Mallow where I thought I'd lost my purse I did and would you believe Someone had handed it in. I collected it this morning and we don't know who it was that handed in the purse, but just publicly over your areas, I'd like to thank them. They have restored my faith in humanity and God, don't you just love honesty like that. So well done. So if you were the person who found a purse in Dunn's and went straight into customer service and say, look, I found this and handed it in. They didn't leave a name or anything. Well done uh, to you. That's uh, a real, real it would restore in your faith in humanity and in honesty. There's nothing like that kind of uh, honesty and Ben was on to say really disappointed to read the piece in the Irish Examiner at the front page of the Irish Examiner this morning and I didn't get a chance to mention this this is the piece by uh, Owen English that the government are under pressure from Cork business leaders this is for Ireland's bid for the 2024 America's Cup yacht race because if we got the America's Cup yacht race what it would mean not just to Cork City but to the entire region it would be incredible and it seems now because of the fallout from the Catherine own affair there are fears now that this proposal could be derailed. So, Owen English is writing in the paper today the Cork Chamber, the Vintners, the Hoteliers are now all urging the government to commit to spending. Now, they reckon it'll cost about €150 million Euro to stage what is a huge global sporting event in and around Cork uh, Harbour. Uh, and they're, they're now saying, look, the government need to commit to that because the decision from the race organisers is expected tomorrow. There's other bids in Jeddah, And Valencia and Spain are also in with Cork in with a chance. I've been named the preferred bidder tomorrow. The Foreign Affairs Minister Simon Coveney. He's been out there really from the start of this championing the America's Cup event to be brought here. I mean, he's a keen sailor himself and obviously he's from uh, Cork and he played a key role in the bid in June. This is when a technical team from the events organising authority came to Cork City, came to the harbour. There was a range of briefings. They had to do site assessments and all of that seemed to be happy with what they saw. They then went away. They're making their considerations. The announcement will be tomorrow. However, with Minister Simon Coveney facing a vote of no confidence in the Daw this week, arising out of the Catherine Sapone affair, the race authorities, which are based in New Zealand, seemingly are monitoring the political fallout here closely. Now, as I say, the government will have to trump up 150 billion million Euro to stage the event. But... A cost benefit analysis that was done by the consultants Ernest and Young reckon that it would be worth up to half a billion. So the government would spend 150 million, but five hundred million would come back into the economy. Two thousand jobs would be generated. It would attract up to two and a half million visitors. It'd generate between nine million and one billion bed nights, and then when, when you look around the world of the people who will be watching it that's estimated to be 900 million TV viewers globally. A government spokesperson said that the cost-benefit analysis is still under consideration as part of due diligence process and all of that. However, according to the, the Irish examiner has learned that the race authorities wrote to the Taoiseach and to Minister Coveney last week, setting out their plan to nominate a preferred bidder tomorrow. And then obviously people like the Cork Chamber have come out saying this is a potential game changer, not just for Cork, for the southern region. Michael Donovan of the Vintners Federation is quoted in the paper saying it would be a travesty if the event wasn't secured uh, for Ireland. Tomorrow's decision will then trigger a six to eight week period during which the race authorities and the preferred bidder, they engage on a range of negotiations. Now, if they fall down, then the other bidders get invited back into the process. But what we need tomorrow, we need to hear tomorrow that Cork, Ireland has been named, has been chosen as the preferred one. Then we will get into that process, do all of the negotiations. And then hopefully it would we would have the 2024 America's Cup yacht race out of uh, Cork Harbour, and how fantastic that would be. Shameful, really shameful if it falls over what's going on in this country from a political point of uh, view we will wait with interest. 1850 333 John Paul taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 862 103 103. We're going to take a break and we are back chatting with Annalise
1: Drussell our
0: nutrition therapist.
1: Court Today on C103
0: With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie
1: This is the Court Today replay on C103 Annelise Drussell of the
3: healthhubstore.com out of the Health Hub store in Times Square in Balancholic uh, joining me this afternoon. Good afternoon Annelise. Good afternoon Patricia. And you are very welcome. Let me get straight into questions which have been pouring in for us today. Thank you John Paul who's just passed me on once have come in by over the phone. Hi uh, Patricia. Could you ask Annalise, what is the best thing to take for a diverticulitis flare up? Thanking you. And I suppose explain what diverticulitis is.
7: So there's diverticulitis is an infection um, that occurs in the colon, so the lower bowel. And diverticulosis is the condition. And what happens is that you get a sort of a blowout of the smooth muscle in the colon and it forms little pouches. So fecal matter or undigested food can get stuck in there. And then if it's sitting there for a long time, it can become infected. And that's when you get the flare-up and you get the severe pain. So when you really have an infection, you probably need the antibiotic at that stage. So the whole idea and of the management of it is to prevent yourself from becoming infected. Now, there are certain foods they say that you shouldn't eat. I mean, things like nuts and seeds that mightn't be properly broken down. But I think they're fine to eat so long as you maybe grind them. So if you wanted to do your porridge and have your linseeds and your chia seeds and pumpkin seeds, just buy the round ones in the pouches because they should be fine. Um, The big key, Patricia, is to make sure that you're having a daily bowel movement and that things are moving along very nicely. So there's a fibre called psyllium, P-S-Y-L-L-I-U-M, It comes from the husk of a kind of a plantago type of a plant. And it forms what we call a soluble fiber, which means it kind of forms a jelly, gloopy-like substance. And this is great because it can bring form, actually, to a very loose stool, but it can also soften a kind of a hard stool and it can help it slide through without getting stuck. And also, I suppose, without like little pieces of it breaking off and becoming stuck in the pouches of diverticulitis. Um, So I would definitely recommend you take a tablespoon of that every morning on your porridge. And if you're not having a daily bowel movement, the goal should be to do that. So whether you need to take digestive enzymes or aloe vera juice or a natural laxative um, like magnesium maybe or prune or rhubarb extract, they're all very, very good. Having a kiwi um, in the um, morning for breakfast, two kiwis a day are great because they're full of a very powerful kind of digestive enzyme that help you break your food down a little bit better. And the better you digest your food and the more regular you are, the less likely you will have infections.
6: Okay,
3: North Cork listener. Question for Annalise, please. I'm in my early 30s. What supplements or food would Annalise recommend to improve eyesight? At a recent eye exam, it showed my eyesight has actually got worse. I'm short-sighted.
4: So I suppose there
7: are probably foods that will help for sure, Patricia. But I think your eyesight does, like, you can be either short-sighted or long-sighted. Long-sighted is more when you find it difficult to read um, objects close up, and short-sightedness is generally a genetic issue, Um, even though your eyesight might deteriorate with time, and that is where you find it's hard to read things in the distance. It's more blurry. So to keep your eyes healthy, one of the best things is um, vitamin A, and carrots are a great source of vitamin A in a very safe form called beta-carotene. Vitamin A on its own in high doses, I never recommend to people because it actually can become what we call a pro-oxidant, which is pro-inflammatory and can be dangerous. So if you ever want to take a vitamin A supplement, you should be taking it more as beta-carotene, which is a very safe way to take it, and our body will convert it to active uh, vitamin A as we need it. So beta-carotene is in carrots. It's in all of the beautiful red, yellow, orange fruits and vegetables, so things like apricots peppers red and yellow peppers turnips um there's actually quite a lot of beta carotene in green leafy vegetables as well so your cabbages lettuce broccoli all of those foods are really good for that particular substance and the um the old wise tale as well patricia was eat your carrots so that you can see well at night
3: yeah yeah
7: um and that is because vitamin a is so important for the rods and cones at the back of the eye that help us focus in dimmer light so that is one thing to take the other thing that's great for your eyesight actually is um are blueberries and bilberries, everything purple. They're very rich in particular substances um, like lutein, astaxanthin, and these are all very, very good, again, to help the rods and cones at the back of the eye. And the last thing I would say and highlight is lutein. It's so important for people who've got a family history of macular degeneration. Now, what happens with macular is that there's a certain part at the back of the eye Starts to deteriorate and it's irreversible, and those cells can't be renewed. And what happens is you start losing your central vision. So your peripheral vision remains, and your central vision starts getting bad. So you can see stuff on the outside but not stuff in the middle. And uh, there's a big family history of it. So if there is, you need to start taking lutein in your um, in supplement form from really I would say 30s and 40s it's in my family I always take lutein and the other thing I take a lot of are tomatoes they're full of lycopene again that's another great one for the rods and cones at the back
3: of the eye Okay Mary is suffering with cracked heels and feet I've tried lots of creams all sorts still very hard what would Annalise recommend
7: so actually this isn't a natural remedy at all. It's one that I've seen in Aldi and I've seen in pharmacies and it's called crack teal cream and it can be it is one of the best
3: it's types
7: of cream. Yeah, it's high in urea. So it's very, very good. You'll get any of them in boots and you're looking for at least I think about three percent urea. And that's probably the best approach, but it can be nice to soak your feet as well and then moisturize them afterwards because if the skin is very hard, it's hard to get moisture cream to penetrate in. So if you soak your feet maybe with some Epsom salts in a foot bath and let the skin soften up and then put your cream on. The other tip as well, of course, is to put cream on and then put your socks on at night so that they can sit in the lovely thick cream overnight and it doesn't rub off.
3: Yeah, yeah. I I think at this time of the year I always, I think it's from wearing all the flip flops and the sandals. Absolutely. And having
7: your feet out in the sun and probably walking barefoot a lot more for sure.
3: Now, Anne had a colonoscopy last week and was given pan for the next four weeks, but it's not solved the problem. She still feels bloated and she's not going to the toilet. Would you suggest anything else?
7: Okay, so there's a number of different reasons why people do feel bloated and why they suffer from constipation. And I suppose in the most basic terms, Patricia, if your diet is good and you've lots of fibre, so that means lots of fruit and vegetables, oats are great as well, and eating brown rice, brown pasta, brown whole grain instead of white bread, etc. And if you're drinking plenty of water and if you're doing exercise, you should have a daily bowel movement. And if that's not happening, generally, in my experience, it's one of three things. One, it's a food intolerance. So it's not like a full-blown allergy, but it is a food that you're eating that is causing you your immune system to react and most people think when they think of IBS like that they think that it's diarrhea but in my experience more people have constipation than have diarrhea and generally it is a food intolerance and the ones that come at the top of that I do the tests here in the shop and the ones that we always see are egg dairy and wheat would be very common barley is another big one as well actually so if it's not a food intolerance, it might be as a result of medication use. So maybe you're taking painkillers or sleeping tablets or medication that are very rough on the liver. So in that case, you need to increase the types of um, of foods in your diet like rhubarb, um, prunes, all of those fib- uh, very high fiber, soluble fiber foods. Psyllium husk, put that in as well, because what you're doing really is you're battling the medication you need to be quite careful what you take in terms of laxatives, then, in case they interact with heavy duty medication. So, the one that I love is Aloe Pura and it's called Aloe Complex. And it's very, very gentle and it's very successful. And you take two of those going to bed at night. And the last thing, sometimes constipation and bloating happens after taking an antibiotic, and that's because you've killed off a lot of the good bacteria and some of the other yeasts and bacteria have overgrown. So, take a good quality probiotic. And see if that doesn't solve the pro- if, if that solves the problem. And if not, you might need a bit of a kind of a yeast cleanse um, using things like, um, there's a very good product called Dida by New Nordic, and that's great to do a cleanse, especially if you're suffering from yeast and thrush.
3: Okay, Michael's ended up with what sounds like a beard uh, rash. I've markings on my face, got the razors mixed up and ended up using my dad's. Uh, what advice to give you to the markings?
7: I think don't put anything on that that's perfumed or chemical I would just use aloe vera gel 99% aloe vera gel it's very good for anything irritated even when your skin is irritated like that Patricia putting on essential oils which are really nice for skin will irritate it so just keep it very simple.
3: Sheila wants to know is there any nat- herbal remedy for skin tags?
7: No and there's loads of them being sold online, no they do not work believe me Um I've seen lots of people have come in actually asking about one that's been advertised online. So the best thing really with a skin tag, if you can't actually tie it off with a piece of thread, is just to get your doctor to take it off with a bit of nitrogen.
3: Okay, Mary says, hi, I have a lot of pain in my bladder before going to the toilet and after going to the toilet. Is there anything I can take to uh, ease it? I've been checked. There's no kind of infection there, but it just feels a little bit inflamed.
7: Okay, so that sounds to me like cystitis. So cystitis would be, the symptoms of that would be typically a burning sensation or pain just before you go to the loo when you urinate and afterwards, and also sometimes the need for frequent urination. You might notice as well that your urine smells different than usual and could be a bit cloudy. So the best, um, and cystitis is very common, Patricia, especially if you do a lot of sport or horse riding. It can come if you bruise the urethra as well. So it's very, very common for women. Um, the best thing probably is a combination of three different things. The first thing is the Dr. Clare Cystone, C-Y-S-T-O-N-E. So this is a combination of herbs that is absolutely brilliant for any kind of cystitis or kidney infection, any pain or burning on urinating. Um, so this C-Y-S-T-O-N-E, the cystone, a blend of herbs. Make sure if you have our medication that you get your medication checked against it if you buy it in your health shop. The second thing is D-mannose. This is a kind of a sugar which sounds counterintuitive but actually it kind of prevents the bacteria that can cause infection from being able to form a spike and stick in between the cells. So basically they slide off and can't uh, multiply to cause infection. So if you're treating something, you want about 1,000 milligrams of D-mannose three times a day, And the other thing I'd add then, the third thing, is something like um, Quest do a product called Cranbiotics, which I recommend a lot. It's a combination of cranberry extract and the good bacteria. And I would also take one of those three times a day for treatment. And once you start feeling better, just maintain at once a day until you've finished all of your packages.
3: Okay, we mentioned the skin tag. Somebody's saying, what about a wart on the eyelid? It's almost like a skin tag, isn't it, rather than a wart when you see that on somebody?
7: What? Yes, it it can be either. I suppose a skin tag or a wart, or it can be something um, called. Um, it, there's, a, there's a kind of a skin damage called keratosis that actually comes from the sun, Patricia, and it looks like kind of bumpy, rough um, skin. Mm. I would definitely suggest that that um, gets checked out first because you don't. We want to make sure that it's not a mole, okay, um, that has gone a bit funny.
3: So go but to a doctor.
7: Yeah, I really would, actually. Now, the best... The, Dr. Claire does do a, um, a wart cream called Tugia. Um Sorry, it's with Tuja. It's called wart cream. You could try that. It can sometimes be successful. Uh, but I think generally, if it's a wart, they tend to have quite deep roots. So you'll probably need something like... Um, Salicylic acid to put on top of it but you need to be very very careful with the eyes. so I would definitely go to the doctor
3: with that Okay listen have a great week and you'll put up all the information later on online On the website Very good Thanks Thank a million and Elise's website is thehealthhubstore.com and you'll see the section as heard on the radio and then later on this afternoon John Paul will put that entire link up as a podcast That's what I leave for today Thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing John Green is in for Nick Richards Nick is on a bit of a break for the next couple of weeks so John with you to ease you through the Afternoon. Talk to you tomorrow at 10. Until then I'm Patricia Messenger. A very good afternoon and stay safe.
1: Court today on C103
0: with John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. C M I G